A very good morning to you. I'm Howard Feldman. This is your Sunday Synthesis podcast. It is uh, the 3rd of May. It is a beautiful autumn morning here in Johannesburg. I've just been out for a walk slash run, but actually it's really just a walk. The uh, It was absolutely beautiful to get outdoors. Saw lots and lots of people around. We're going to be talking quite a bit about that. How do we need to behave when we are out there exercising? This is our eighth podcast. Dr. Anton Marburg joining us every Sunday morning, eight Sundays in a row as we plot the journey of COVID-19 globally and here in South Africa. We have an immense amount of questions from you, fantastic feedback from all around the world, people listening from all across the United States in Los Angeles, from Los Angeles to New York, as well as Australia, Israel, and the UK. The questions are fantastic. Some are incredibly stupid, but we're not going to be uh, addressing those ones at all. Uh, we're only going to really... Uh, no, I mean, all questions are appreciated. So uh, we're going to be very, very nice. Pulmonologist, uh, physician, Dr. Anton Meyerberg, COVID-19 specialist. A very good morning to you and thank you again. Where are we? How are we doing in this battle against COVID-19? Good morning and good morning to all the listeners. We are currently sitting at 3,497,006 cases worldwide with 244,874 deaths. The United States is topping this at 1.16 million cases with 67,000 deaths. South Africa is sitting on 6,336 cases with 123 deaths. At this point in time, they have currently tested 230,686 cases, and in the last 24 hours, 13,164 cases have been tested. The recoveries are sitting on 2,549. What's interesting to note is that the ages of the deaths there's been a 23% death rate in the ages 50 to 59, a 30% death rate in the ages 60 to 69, and a 28% death rate in the ages 70 to 79. Most of these deaths are attributable to comorbidities such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, diabetes, hypertension, renal disease, tuberculosis, HIV, and cardiac disease. All right, so we're going to drill down into those a little bit later. Let's start off with the, the big news, which was uh, that South Africa moved down to level four on Friday. Some perhaps uh, seemingly irrational decisions by government, some very important ones. Let's just talk about exercising between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., which is what is allowed. The, uh, I was out there this morning, lots of people out and about, some of them very, very responsible, I thought, uh, making sure to keep social distancing, others not, some with masks, some without masks. Can you please, some with kids, some without kids, um, can you please clarify how are we, how can we behave responsibly during this time? Forget what government is saying. What is our responsibility? So I think the first and most important question is why between six o'clock and nine o'clock in the morning? Mm. And if you find someone that can give us the answer, I'd really appreciate that because it makes absolutely no sense. There are answers that people like you will probably give that to say that the virus sleeps between six and nine o'clock in the morning, <laughs> which is quite an impressive answer, but I don't think that's the real answer. I think it's a big problem that because the workforce goes out to work between five and six yeah. o'clock in the morning. If you look at what happened in Seapoint on Friday morning, the promenade was full of people. And there are many reasons for this. Yes, it was a public holiday, but it only starts getting lighter much later, about an hour later in Seapoint. So their, their 
lockdown time is two hours to exercise. So it makes no sense. In my view, it would and be far fact, better we can't to have them. You know, Excuse people me? were posting on Twitter about um, how irresponsible they were, and I felt quite bad for them. They'd been compliant for 35 days. That's They'd given it. two and or three hours And they're living right by exercise. the beautiful sea. Where else are they the promenade. Mm. Exactly. Mm. So, so that, that's well, the, the first issue. Right. The, 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 okay. the main issue is, is that, for instance, I went for a run this morning. Now, you can go for a run by yourself, or you can go with a run with somebody close to you. And what that I mean, that you've got to be responsible. When you run on the road, you've got a slipstream of virus coming from someone in front of you. So if someone coughs, someone sneezes, this virus can come backwards and hit you. The virus stays in the air for a longer time. So the responsible thing to do is to wear a mask or to wear a buff when you're running and for the whole time while you're running, even if you are running alone. The problem with the buff and the mask is that when you've been running for a while, they become wet. So the penetration layer to let things through is much higher. And that's why you've got to enforce social distancing at the same time. So you've got to run apart more than two meters. And the ideal way to, if you do run with one other person, and I don't think you should be running with more than one person, but if you do run with one person, let that person run on the other side of the road to you. Then there's no issues. There's no way of spreading the virus to each other. There's no way of coughing or sneezing on each other. If you do cough, you cough in the other direction. But you've got to be responsible. This morning, I saw multiple people walking in pairs with no masks, people who don't live in the same household. What they don't understand is they're introducing new viruses and new bacteria to each other because it's sitting in their households and they're not exposed to those bacteria the whole time, yet they are exposed to their own bacteria in their house, which they've got an adaptive immunity to boost themselves against. Everyone who's going for a walk, a run, a jog, a cycle needs to be wearing a mask when they go out. You are negligent if you are not wearing a mask. What about children? Should we be taking our children on walks? Yes, you should. Our children need to get exercise. Our children need to see the sunlight. Our children need to be exposed to the air. But when you take your children on a walk, once again, you've got to implore on them that they have to do social distancing. If they see friends, they keep a distance from them. They don't go and hug them. They don't go run up to them. And they have to wear masks even on walking with you as a family. Once again, you've got to, you've got to respect the time, six o'clock to nine o'clock in the morning. That's what's been implemented by government, but you have to be responsible about it. Social distancing, wash your hands, take hand sanitizer with you, go on your walks, be responsible. Right, so, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so bottom line is we, you don't think it's a, a problem to run with one other person, provided you both wear masks, provided you keep more than two meters apart, and uh, and if you cough, obviously you cough in other in uh, in in. in essentially, then you're not really running with some other person, even though they're mm. on the other side of the road. So you, you're running on both one on each side of the road. Yes, ideally you are running with them, but you're not actually running next to them, and that takes away most mm. of the problems of this whole sort of spreading of the virus. Right, and uh, one of the observations that uh, that was made this morning is that the good thing about this is children no longer need to wear um, um, uh, helmets when they're riding their bikes because they're worrying about COVID. Is that, is that medically, is that medically you've got to be responsible. Because a lot of kids driving bikes, around this morning yeah. without helmets, I'm sorry. Uh, well, you've got to be responsible. You've got to look after your children. If your kids are on bikes, you've got to put helmets on them. People are still driving on the roads. At the same time as the helmet, you put the mask on. It's all about being responsible, about having social awareness, looking after yourself and your family.
What's interesting about this, and it actually leads to another conversation that you and I had earlier, uh, well, actually during the course of last week, and then I spoke with uh, the president of the Heart Association in South Africa, uh, Dr. David Jankolo. One of the things that we seem to forget whilst we're focusing on this pandemic is that, is that there are other issues, that we still need to worry about our kids' safety uh, whilst they're riding their bikes. And if we have a heart condition or a chronic condition of any sort, that we still need to be um, responsible around those conditions. Can you talk to that a bit? So I think that's a very good point. And, and I think it's the fact is that if you have got a chronic condition, such as a cardiac disease or a respiratory disease, you cannot leave it alone and say, okay, I'll attend to it in three to six months time. These are the people that are getting sick and these are the people that are dying because they're not going for their regular checkups. There's, there's a thing that people think that if they go to the hospital, they're gonna contact COVID-19. You've got to understand when you go to the hospital, before you even go to the hospital, the receptionist has phoned you, they've asked you questions, they've already tried to see if there's any indication that you can't come to the rooms if you've got a fever, if you've got a cough, and remember, 90% of respiratory patients do have a cough. So it's put onto the list and extrapolate to see, is that a risk factor for them coming to the hospital? They right. then get to the hospital, and before they're even allowed into the hospital, first of all, they're not allowed in with family members, so it's quite strict. They get their temperature taken, and they go through a whole barrage of questions, whether or not they're eligible to enter the hospital so they don't spread any disease. You then come into the rooms, they don't open doors, they don't touch things. There's social distancing in the rooms of the doctors and the patients are treated by the doctors with the doctors wearing a mask, the doctors wearing protective things and they are treated as if they have got the virus even though they don't in order to protect them and to protect the healthcare workers. So it's very important with chronic conditions to start going back and seeing your doctors because otherwise we're not gonna lose the battle of COVID, we're gonna lose the battle of chronic disease. We're gonna lose the battle of kidney disease, of diabetes, of hypertension, of COPD, of asthma, and all of, uh, multiple other medical conditions because we're so worried about COVID-19, but we're not worried about the reality of life. Right, so, so Philip Shapiro says uh, COVID-19 and comorbidity risks. When we are told that the comorbidity, uh, comorbidity cardiovascular disease is a risk factor, can uh, the broad category cardiovascular be unbundled? Who is at risk amongst people with hypertension um, uh, with uh, with uh, fibrillations, uh, with heart disease, etc. So, it hasn't been told to us exactly who is the major risk of the hypertensive patients, and by that I mean, is it a person who's controlled or uncontrolled? Our thought process is it's people that are uncontrolled. People who have controlled blood pressure that are on the medication and doing well are less of a risk. And I think we've got to re re re, re say this very very clearly. Just because you've got high blood pressure does not mean that you are more at risk to get COVID-19. It means that if you do get COVID-19, you're at a higher risk to get more severe or more critical from the disease. And people with high blood pressure, why, why would they be more at risk for this? You've got to understand that if your blood pressure is uncontrolled, you've got other sequelae, other parts of the disease that can happen, such as things as you can get retinopathy, eye disease, you can get nephropathy, you can get kidney disease. There's a whole host of vascular problems you can get. You can get ischemic heart disease, where you get blockage of the vessels in the heart. The same thing with COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, emphysema, asthma. All these patients, if they're not controlled, it all has ramifications and affects the heart and affects the lungs at the same time. And that's why they're more at risk. Remember that COVID-19 is a respiratory disease, and obviously your respiratory patients are more at risk from that point of view as well.
So there's been a couple of articles and a couple of things that have gone around uh, about the, whether it is a respiratory disease, whether, um, you know, and of, co of course, they quote, the, the article quotes Italian doctors, but without a name and Mexican doctors without names. So that always bothers me slightly. But, uh, but uh, the, there's some complexity, it would seem, in how this disease is behaving from, uh, from that perspective. We did a couple of weeks ago speak about this, but can you give us the latest information around what so we yes. know about how this disease operates or, or, or It behaves? is a respiratory disease. It's, okay. it's a virus that's enveloped by proteins. They call them spark proteins. The protein itself attaches to the, the layer of the cell with what we call an ACE2 receptor on it, and then affects the, the cells inside and replicates. Now, if somebody is extremely ill from the virus, they get what we call a cytokine release, which is a cytokine storm, which is a release of all proteins such as interleukin-6, tumor necrosis factor, interleukin-7, all these things that cause a hyperinflammatory response in the body. At the same time, this can cause a higher propensity to clotting. You get a raised D-dharma. D-dharma is a marker of, of clotting in the body. And generally in infection, this does go up. In, in kidney disease, it goes up. In heart attacks, in emboli, pulmonary emboli, it goes up. But more so in our critical or severe patients or people who are severely ill with COVID disease, we get a higher marker of this D-dharma disease. That means there's a high propensity for microthrombosis, small clots. There's a high thrombosis for strokes, for pulmonary emboli for disease of the vessels, for ischemic heart disease. So it still is a respiratory disease, but it's got lots of sequelae from it that affect different parts of the body, causing multi-organ dysfunction. And those organs that get affected are the kidneys, the heart. They've all got these ACE2 receptors inside them that can be affected. So it's the heart, it's the kidneys, it's the lungs, it's the brain, it's your cardiovascular system in total. And that's why it's being seen by other people as not only a respiratory disease, but in essence it is a respiratory disease because that's how it's transmitted and that's how it starts out. This, uh, this is uh, from Dave. Uh, there are some articles surfacing in the States one was in the Washington Post that seems to suggest an increase in neurological and cardiac events in 30 to 40 year olds over the past two months where the patients were diagnosed with COVID-19. These patients didn't show any of the typical COVID-19 symptoms before the event. Is it true that COVID-19 can bring on cardiac or neurological events in younger adults without seeing other typical symptoms of COVID-19? It's true in both younger and elder patients. It's not unique to younger patients. A lot of the time the patient can be asymptomatic and then all of a sudden get a whole cytokine release where they get these, all these cytokines released and it promotes this prothrombotic event where you get clots, where you get strokes, where you get these neurological events, where you get these cardiac events. So it is, it is happening. We are seeing it, but it's generally people with the virus and people who are sick. Right. How are we doing as far as a treatment is concerned? What is so, the latest in, uh, in the treatment being used? The, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration of America, has just given the go-ahead to use remdesivir. Now, remdesivir, as we've discussed before, is an antiviral drug that blocks the replication of the virus. It works on the RNA and the messenger RNA, and it basically prevents the SARS-CoV-2 virus basically from making copies of itself. So it's a very, very important drug. It's a very expensive drug. It was developed in order to fight Ebola, but that was largely ineffective. It was then used on the SARS and the MERS patients, which was shown a bit more sort of promise regarding that. 
It's been trialed in about 1,100 patients at the moment. The mortality rate with it is, is 8%. The mortality rate with placebo is about 11%. And they're saying of those people that get better, there's a 31% faster recovery rate. But I think we've got to go back to the whole thing. These things aren't peer-reviewed. It's in a desperate times and desperate needs. People are trying whatever they can to try and work through these things. This drug's made by a company called Gilead, which is the same company that made Tamiflu. They're pushing it. Obviously, each drug company wants their drug to work the best. There's lots of studies that need to be done. There's lots of, of talks and lots of discussions that need to be had about the drug. But right now, this is the new buzzword at the moment is remdesivir. So we'll see where that takes us in the next few weeks. And uh, I'm assuming that you're not taking this Madagascan cure very seriously at this stage. I can either confirm or deny. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, taking a look at uh, taking a look at some of, uh, of 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 the other of the other issues, and and this one is a, is 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 a huge one, and this came from uh, Ian, and I don't know that it really speaks to to your expertise or not, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. Ian says, uh, last week, a business client introduced me to the term I hadn't heard before. It's called gaslighting. Gaslighting is defined as the distorting of the truth in order to confuse or instill doubt in another person to the point that they question their sanity or reality. Apparently, um, this, is, uh, this is being driven by economists and business leaders. In an attempt to kickstart the economy, they are downplaying the medical advice and trying to influence and convince whoever will listen that government and doctors are overreacting. As a medical professional, how does Dr. Marburg respond to it? So I like the term gaslighting. I think it's very interesting. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I do think you just got to look at all the field hospitals all over the world. You got to look at the fact that taking Navy carrier ships, bringing them into the harbors to use as hospitals, You've got to look at the amount of deaths, the amount of people dying. You've got to look at how contagious this virus is and how many people are dying from it in a shorter period of time than other viruses. So we're not gaslighting. We're not economists. We're not in the finance industry. We're in the health industry. We don't have to lie to anybody about what the virus is doing. We need to be upfront and tell the truth. It is a dangerous virus. We need to get in control of this virus. We need to get a vaccine as soon as possible, and we need to get on top of it. Uh, Philip asked another question. He says, uh, COVID-19 and the elderly, when we say that elderly people are more at risk, is it the age itself which puts people at risk? Or is it that many elderly people happen to be frail and frailty is the risk factor? What about some elderly people who are very fit, as today people of 70 plus can still be quite fit and strong um, and, uh, and are, are exercising all the time as well? It's a great question. So I think let's look at the majority rather than minority first. Mm -hmm. Majority of elderly people are far more at risk, same as with influenza. They're far more at risk, they do get sicker. A lot of the elderly people live in old age homes. They cohabit together. They spread virus to each other. It's much easier to pass virus on to each other. They've got lower immunity. They've got an untold amount of comorbidities, hypertension, kidney disease, diabetes, pulmonary emboli, anything, you name it, they've got it. And therefore they are at higher risk of getting sicker and, and getting worse. And also they're much frailer. They've got a lower reserve to fight infections. With regards to the younger elderly patients who are 70 years old, who are fit, well, please God, they won't have a high propensity to get as sick as possible. They've got to keep themselves well. They've got to keep their nutrition up. Mm -hmm. They've got to keep mm -hmm. their health up and they've got to look after themselves. 
the the question around in fact no we'll come back to 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 the question around schools in just a moment let's let's rather continue to, to talk about the the treatment how are we doing as far as the vaccine is concerned so they're still postulating that vaccines will only be available in 12 to 18 months now you've got to remember that we're talking about herd immunity the whole time in order for us to get herd immunity there needs to be two things either 70 to 80% of the population needs to have immunity against the virus, or we need to have vaccines available now and give it to the rest of the world. Those are the only two ways we're gonna get the herd immunity. They're working nonstop on these vaccines. We've got an adaptive immunity of our body, which helps us learn to recognize an invading pathogen such as the SARS coronavirus 2. There's immune response that develops, we develop antigen presenting cells, we develop a host of other T helper cells. We also get B cells, which help us form antibodies, which help ingest and destroy the virus. The virus themselves are either weakened viruses or inactivated viruses like we see in the flu vaccine. There's a lot of research being done at the moment on different types of vaccines, whether it's a nucleic, nucleic acid vaccine, whether it's a viral vector vaccine, whether it's a protein-based derivative. They, they, they're working throughout the, the times of the month doing as much as they can to get the vaccines ready. But there's a lot of work being done at the moment. There's phase one trials being done on they're trying them on patients already to see if they're working. So we've still got a long way to go, but we, we, we're going in the right direction. Saren from Israel says, is it required that everyone has the vaccine or just enough to form a barrier or herd immunity? So I think it's important that to, to, to discuss it. And, and let's bring in a case like Sweden, for instance, where everyone's talking about Sweden, where it says mm, that mm. Sweden has got the best uh, scenario at the moment. They're not on lockdown. They're not quarantined. And look at their herd immunity. So that's a common misconception. Okay? Sweden are, are a big country. They've got multiple cases in Sweden at the moment. There's, there's 22,000 cases with 2,600 deaths. It's the biggest country in the Scandinavian area with that amount of deaths and cases yet they're not doing anything, except they are doing things. Whereas the government has enforced it, a large majority of the population are staying at home. A large majority of the patients are not using public transport. The government has said you cannot go on to, or to a function if there are more than 50 people. Majority of people are wearing masks, although they'll show you streets where people aren't. So the people in, in Sweden are doing their own lockdowns. They are voluntary lockdowns, but they are doing it. It's very important. And yet they haven't got the herd immunity that we want them to have at this point in time. Once again, you need a 70 to 80% herd immunity. They might have maybe a four or 5% herd immunity at this point in time, which is not enough. We need far more than that. So at this point yeah. in time, we need to get that herd immunity up. The uh, one, uh, an, an, another question is, is about these antibodies. Well, there's two parts of the question is, is uh, how are we doing in our tests for antibodies? And uh, there does seem to be some controversy uh, around whether people are able to, to be reinfected with COVID-19. Your thoughts? So we're still waiting for the antibody test to come to South Africa. Once again, there's two phases of the antibody reaction. It's the RGM phase, which is in the first four to seven days, and the RGG phase, which is the secondary phase, which comes out in the next few days from the seven to 14 days. That's what we're looking at at the moment, the immunoglobulin G response. Once you've got that, we believe that you have got antibodies to the virus. At this point in time, we have not seen mutations in the virus. And the people, the majority of people that have been tested for it do not get the virus again. But once again, it's, we've got this virus since January. It's now April going into, now it's May. 
So it's, it's four and a half months, five months that we're with this virus. It's, it's still new. It's still a novel virus. We're mm. still learning things from it and time will tell. So it's too early to say, can you get reinfected? Because at this point in time, the answer is no. But in six months time, who knows? One of the difficult questions that, uh, that many people have asked is, uh, can they allow part-time domestic workers who aren't living in their homes to come back to work? And if so, what precautions should they take? And I'm gonna extend that a little bit, that question, because we've also got a few questions about if uh, you need some emergency repair work in your house, for example, a plumber. We know that legally that, uh, and, and you might have no choice um, about having somebody in your house, what precautions should you be taking? So that's a two, obviously a two-part okay. question. So, so a part-time domestic worker, I think we must remember we are on level four lockdown. We're not on level one lockdown, we're not on level two lockdown, we still on lockdown. In other words, you can't have play dates for your children. You can't have meetings with people come people coming to your house just for a meeting and seeing everybody. If you want to bring a, a part-time domestic worker, in my view, I think it's a bad idea. Okay? Because okay. the person still has to go in a taxi or they still have to go on a bus or they still have to go somewhere. They're exposed to multiple people. They could be asymptomatic at this point in time, but then they're coming into your house, they're touching things, they're breathing on everything. Even if they're wearing masks and they're washing their hands, they're still at a higher risk. And the best way to do it is to have someone stay at you for two weeks and keep them in isolation rather than do that. But then they're not part-time, then they're full-time. Mm -hmm. It's very important to know that with regards to plumbers and electricians, those are essential services. If you get them to come to work at your home, then, then try and stay away from them. They must wear masks. You must wear masks. Let them go to the area they need to fix. You don't have to sit there and entertain them. You don't have to sit there and speak to them much. They understand it. You understand it. Let them do their job. And then wash your hands when they go and just wipe down areas where they've been. I think that's the important thing to do. And uh, groceries, there, there hasn't been a change in, in attitude or approach about uh, how long the virus will last on, on surfaces? No, no, there's no change whether it's cardboard or metal or steel. You've still got to be careful. You've still got to wipe down surfaces. It could be 24 hours. It could be 48 hours. You've still got to be very careful and just look after the sanitation mm. needs. Let's just talk about schools for a moment because, uh, uh, you know, uh, we were asked this question quite a bit on, on my morning show and uh, it's a big worry for, I, I, I would think, we don't have young, uh, I don't have kids of that young age, but below a certain age they, they leak a lot and they leak everywhere and then they go to school and they come back uh, uh, to me, it's a real worry, aside from perhaps the idea of putting a cattle trough outside your house to sterilize them before they come in through the door. I, I would imagine, I, I don't think it's a bad idea, by the way, but, uh, but uh, listeners in my show didn't really respond positively to that. But the, what, what, is it a good idea to be sending our kids back to school? So I think the way that they're looking at doing it is a good idea to phase in the children to go to school. So you start with your grade 12s. Those are our most responsible, the most mature. You can educate them on wearing masks at school. When they go to the school, they need to have their temperatures taken, they need to wash their hands, wear their masks the whole time. They have social distancing between the desks. So one and a half meters between each desk. You know, yeah. get the school done, as quick, the day done as quickly as possible. Don't keep them there longer than necessary. Obviously there's gonna be no sort of post-school events there's no exercise or that type of thing it's just for a school-based learning program that they've got to be there and from the teacher's point of view to the student point of view they've got to be responsible when they get home if you are worried then let them take their clothes off at the front door and go straight to the shower 
-hmm. it's, it's unlikely that there'll be a problem, but I mean, you want to be careful, then take your clothes off, leave your shoes at the front door, go upstairs, shower in hot water, use um, alcohol wash or use a good soap and wash up everything. And that's how you protect yourself. It's not ideal, but this is the way the world is going. And we have to start getting back into the reality of the world. The same way we've got to get back into the economic and financial part of the world. We've got to school our children. Yes, the schools are doing an excellent job of schooling our children oh. on Zoom and Google Classroom, all these type of things. But eventually the kids are going to have to get back to school. So to yeah. stagger it is definitely the right way to go. And it's, it's going to be a, a learning process of how we actually sort of work around our kids going to school and coming back from school. It will be a slow process. It's looking like it's only going to start in June. That's what the Minister of, of, of Education has said. And we'll see how it goes. The number of cases in the country are rising, but we are testing far more. So we can't use that as our, as our scope of saying, well, because the cases are rising, we can't send the kids back to school. We've just got to be careful. We've got to do social distancing, wash our hands, wear our masks. It's imperative that every child and teacher at the school, every cleaner is wearing their masks and obeying the laws of social distancing and, and sanitizing. Before we end, and we are running out of time, unfortunately, the until now, you have been tremendously supportive and impressed with how government is handling things. Uh, certainly, uh, many of us have been. The last couple of uh, weeks, in fact, maybe the last week, has seen a little bit of a shift, what I think is away from a rational approach, and uh, has, has made people just a little bit more skeptical about some of the decisions. My worry is that those decisions um, the minute that we don't believe in a rational government and rational process, we start making our own decisions. A lot of what we're speaking about this morning is that. In fact, uh, you're saying, you know, when you go out, we're not talking about regulations. We're talking about what is responsible behavior, but obviously still respecting the regulations that have been set down for us. Where are you with, uh, with, uh, in, in getting... Up until last this? week, I was highly impressed with the government. As of mm. Thursday last week, watching Kostelan Glenn Zuma's speech, which was mm. extremely difficult to understand and follow whether what was going on, we have no idea. But I lost a great amount of respect for what the government were doing. They haven't explained to us why they've chosen to do what they're doing. We don't understand what they're doing. So you've now got a society that's going to become extremely complacent and a side that's had enough. They're saying, well, we're not respecting them at the moment. We're now going to do our own thing. And that worries me that we're going to get a major surge in cases. Once again, if I look on the road today and I see people walking next to each other who are not in the same household, not wearing masks, that's the start. This is how it's going to boost upwards. Right. Far more people are going to go to the shops. Far more people are going to be far more complacent. We have to take level four as much the same as level five with a few extra restrictions being lifted but we are still in this lockdown. We are day 38 of lockdown, regardless of being level five, level four, it's still the same thing. We have eased a few restrictions. Yes, a few more people can go back to work. If they don't have to, rather stay at home, but keep up your social distancing, keep up washing your hands, keep up wearing your mask and put on your mask properly. Don't touch your face the whole time when your mask is on. Put your mask on from behind you, from the ears. When you take off the mask, wash your hands. Before you put on your mask, wash your hands. You must wash your hands and you must wash your mask at the end of every day in hot water and preferably iron it. Don't put your mask in the microwave. You can put your mask outside in the sunlight to get warm if it's a sunny day. But 
you've got to look after yourself. Don't become complacent. We cannot afford complacency at this point in time. We have done so well up until now with this lockdown. We are doing well. We've got to remain on the same trend and protect ourselves and protect the society around us. Dr. Anton Marburg, thank you as always. Thank you to Synthesis for facilitating these weekly podcasts, an incredibly, incredibly important resource. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening and watching, and thank you for all your questions. Please keep sending them in, and uh, we will, of course, so you can send them to howard at synthesis.co.za. That's S Y N. T H E S I S dot C O dot Z A, and we will endeavor to answer as many of them, of course, as we are able to. I'm Howard Feldman for the Synthesis Sunday podcast. Have a great day.